Father God, we invite your Holy Spirit into the house to minister to us now. We open our hands, our hearts, our minds to receive from you. Uh, I pray, Lord, uh, that your will would be done, that the kingdom would manifest in this place in ways that would make a difference for each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I have some good news. Uh, the, the news is, uh, according to scripture, uh, according to copious science and lots of traditional wisdom, you are not a robot. We celebrate these small victories here at Blue Water Mission. Uh, so turn to the person next to you and say, uh, you're not a robot. That may be the kindest thing that peop some people hear all day long. Yeah, you're not a robot. Which is to say that you are not following some predetermined set of directions in your life, uh, but neither are you necessarily in conscious control of yourself. Uh, and that's what we want to talk about today uh, in our uh, closing out our series on practical lessons from the Bible. We just want to ask the question, why do you do what you do? And why do you think what you think? Do you do what you do because you mindfully chose to do it? Do you think what you think because you mindfully decided uh, that that was the correct thing to think? Or are you being yanked around by shallow reactions and emotional responses? Or are you being influenced by groupthink or dominant culture too much? Are you being mastered by your impulses? Or are you actually acting like a free human being? Uh, the Bible uh, speaks very much about uh, the glory, the majesty of being a free human being. I think uh, in this day and age, maybe in all days and all ages, people are really into themselves. I think people are into themselves, but I, but I don't necessarily think that people are self-aware. I don't think they're so aware of themselves. Um, one of the, uh, the famous wisdom dictums from ancient times uh, was an inscription written uh, on the outside of the Temple of Apollo at Delphi, uh, made famous by the Oracle of Delphi. Know thyself. Do you guys know that one? Know thyself. Uh, and it was taught in uh, ancient Greece that that was, that was the cornerstone of, of wisdom. Uh, the Oracle at Delphi was this uh, was this, uh, this priest or priestess at the, the temple, a very famous temple of Apollo at Delphi. And what, what would happen is that people would go to this temple to consult the oracle, to consult the prophetess. Uh, and evidently, as near as we can tell, uh, there was a person uh, in the temple who was high either on drugs uh, that the person took or uh, there were some, some uh, geothermal fumes I came nearby. Some people theorized that she got high on fumes. Anyway, uh, this person in a, an induced trance, shall we say, would whirl around and speak little bits of wisdom that most often came out as gibberish. And then the pilgrim would listen to it and try to discern the secret messages of the gods in the gibberish. For the, it's a little bit scammy, a little bit scammy, uh, but that was sort of their mode of, of revelation until uh, some smart person inscribed on the outside of that temple, look, just, just try to understand yourself. 
because you're going to go in there, hear a bunch of gibberish, and read into it what you want to hear anyway. So understand yourself. Understand your own filters and why you think the way that you think. And then and only then will you be able to process the wisdom that you get from heaven. And in a way, I think that's still pretty good advice today. I think it's possible to go through life living at two different levels. This is how I describe it to myself anyway. You can live at the level of the buzz, what I call the buzz. Just kind of go through life living in, in a condition of, of, of static, right? I mean, you think something, but you don't necessarily think it really, really dimp- deeply. You feel things, and sometimes you feel things very strongly, but you don't really know why you feel those things. You don't feel in control of your own feelings. You believe certain things, but you know, you kind of believe them on the level of the buzz. You believe them because, I don't know, maybe you were taught to believe them. Or you believe them because everybody around you believes them. You don't know, but it's just sort of like this washy way of living. Or you can live at the level of truth. And, and I think that's, that's, that's usually the opposition in our lives today. It's not like truth versus lies. It's truth versus static. You know, it's not that you disbelieve the truth. You just don't really think anything thoroughly, you know. That's how I think it is. So on what level are we living? Are we living at the level of the buzz? Or are we living at the level of truth? And, and today I want to take a look at, are you, with respect to ourselves, do we understand ourselves at kind of this level of buzz, this sort of hodgepodgey quilt of experiences and beliefs or thinking? Or do we actually understand the truth about who we are, what we think, why we do what we do. The truth about ourselves. Self-awareness. Uh, I'm not talking about self-obsession, which I think is a tremendous disease uh, that we can do without. And I'm not talking about self-doubt, uh, which can be a disease as well. I mean, how do I, how do I doubt myself Uh, unless I understand my true strengths and weaknesses. You have to understand the truth about yourself to the degree that you are able to be a little bit objective about yourself, why you think what you think and why you do what you do. I'm talking about understanding myself. I'm talking about understanding how to operate this thing called me uh, because I'm an interesting machine and I'm really the only qualified operator of it. The same, of course, is true for you. Now, the Bible, uh, speaking of practical lessons from the Bible, is just chock full of encouragements to understand yourself, to understand why you do what you do and why you think what you think. Uh, A lot of these pieces of advice, a lot of these encouragements are about um, avoiding self-deception. And if you are a student of the Bible at all, and we got into a conversation, we could probably come up with quite a list of these passages, these verses. I put a few uh, on the back of your program. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start uh, with one of my favorite Proverbs uh, from Proverbs 20 on your program. Uh, we're gonna throw it up on the big board. From Proverbs 20, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. I actually prefer the older NIV translation. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. It takes a person of understanding 
uh, to draw them out, is what it used to say. It's like very few people understand what's going on inside them. Very few people understand what's going on in their own heart. Literally in the Hebrew, it wouldn't have been heart, it would have been like guts, uh, which is a, a metaphor I actually prefer. I like, like, very few people understand what comes out of their guts, you know, from their core. Uh, you think that's true? Yeah. Uh, in the next chapter of Proverbs, we get a similar verse. Uh, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. There's another way to translate that as well. Everyone thinks their own way is right, uh, but the Lord looks at the interior motives. You can justify anything to yourself, can't you? But a person of understanding, like the Lord, looks at what we do and understands the truth behind what we do, understands the truth behind what we feel. The Lord doesn't take anything as like, self-evident. The Lord knows what makes us tick. And when you get to know the Lord, part of that process is getting to know what makes you tick, because it's the Lord's delight to reveal you to you. It helps you navigate life truthfully and fruitfully. Uh, another pa famous passage, really maybe one of the most famous passages from the Gospels, uh, from Matthew 7. It's the teaching about the speck in someone else's eye. You guys know this, right? The speck and the plank, or depending on your translation. Uh, from, uh, from Matthew 7, uh, at least an excerpt from it goes like this. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So it's kind of a ridiculous metaphor, right? You're like, oh man, your eyes are dirty. And in the meantime, you got a two by four nailed to your forehead. Yeah, Jesus, what a cut up. Uh, obviously a little bit ridiculous, but he's making a point. How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye. Here, I'll help you with my keen insight. When all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, you pretender, you fake. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So that's a parable. That's one, one of those metaphors that really doesn't need a ton of explanation. It's like, don't go around being critical of other people when you are absolutely uncritical of yourself. That does not work. Don't play the judgment game that way, Jesus says. But, you know, he doesn't just leave it at that level, right? This is a teaching about, you know, don't judge other people. But it's not, it's not just that because, you know, the, the metaphor does end uh, with Jesus saying, you know, Take care of your own vision, and then you can help your brother. You know, there is value in, in, uh, in being lovingly critical of one another. I love it when I get good advice, good insight, and good wisdom from my friends. Uh, so that, that's okay. Just don't do it in a judgmental spirit, right? Do it in, in a spirit of clarity, of clear thinking, clear seeing. 
And Jesus is, is saying, it's just the problem is that very, very few people actually see clearly because they walk around with these planks in their eyes. If you're going to offer insight to your brother, make sure that you have insight about yourself first. Otherwise, you're probably going to screw it up. Stuff gets in the way. In this case, one gets the feeling that self-justification gets in the way. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to help my brother by giving him some criticism. But as Jesus tells it, one gets the impression that the reason I'm criticizing my brother is to kind of justify myself, make myself feel, feel better. Obviously, that would be a problem. Uh, in, uh, in Mark 9, um, in a, in a rather sober passage on judgment and examination and self-examination and eternal life, uh, Jesus says, hey, everybody gets salted with fire. Have salt among yourselves. Salt and fire and Jesus' parlance are both metaphors for, for judgment and examination. And, and, and he encourages his followers. They, they have been sort of, they've been sort of uppity. They've They've gotten angry because some people who aren't Jesus' followers are doing things that bother them. And Jesus says, hey, guys, look, salt yourself. Salt yourself first. Examine yourself in light of eternal truths, eternal consequences. Have a a serious and sober mind when you look at yourself every once in a while. Salt yourself with fire. One of the most repeated Proverbs in the book of Proverbs is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You guys know that one? Or in other verses, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Um, I I think you could almost translate that this way. Uh, Humility is the beginning of wisdom. Because if you fear the Lord, that is to say, if you see God as higher, if, if you realize that he probably knows a lot that you don't, and you respect that, well, I mean, that's sort of humble, isn't it? It's like, well, I don't know everything. Ah, that's the beginning of wisdom right there. Now you're in a position uh, to learn something. Now you're in a position to see clearly. And, and we could go on and on all morning. The Bible is just, just full of these encouragements to try to see yourself clearly so that you could accomplish your purpose in the world which is to help people, which is to be uh, an agent of truth and reality in a world of disorder and chaos. Know thyself. Understand. And the Lord is perfectly willing to help you with that. Now, if I, as I've gotten older and crankier, I'm 50 years old now, so I'm, like, you know, I'm firmly middle-aged, and, uh, and I am now qualified to talk about young people. These young people today, am I right? Am I right? And I'm starting to have those cranky old guy experiences where uh, starting to, yeah, okay. I had these experiences when I was like 12. But now I'm justified in being an old cranky guy. Uh, my grandmother used to say, oh, you were born 40. I have, I have these experiences. It'll often happen to me, like uh, when I'm when I'm 
uh, teaching a sermon or I'm speaking at a conference or a retreat or something like that. And, and you know, I'll, I'll try to make some points. And then afterwards, some, some 23-year-old person will come up to correct me, right? And, you know, 23 people, 23-year-old people say smart things as well, but invariably something comes out of me and you're like, you are a punk kid. <laughs> you know? But what, what, what gets to me is, is not the facts that we are exchanging because, you know, any two reasonable people um, can have an objective discussion about fact and truth and perspective and stuff like that. But, but have you noticed these young people, how certain they are about the truth of what they say, right? If, if you're under, under 40, just ignore this part of the sermon. If you're over 40, hang with me here. Have you noticed this? <laughs> Nobody is quite as confident in their wisdom as a 23-year-old. They've just gotten out of college, so by definition, they know everything, right? They've received all of these revelations on campus. And the reason I stress that is because uh, once you get old like me, you, you see it obviously in, in young people, you know, and I get a little, little grin on my face like, yes, well, thank you. I will take that under consideration. I, I'd never thought of that before. Um, <laughs> I, I make fun. Um, but, but that doesn't really leave us so much, right? Um, the, uh, the confidence that we have in our conviction um, might wane a little bit as we get older because we have so many life experiences, we experience so many frustrations and realize that the more we know, the more we have to know, <laughs> you know? I think particularly in this day and age in which things change so quickly. Um, why do young people, why are they so sure that they're moral opinions are so right? Well, it's because all the other young people think like they do. Um, once we get older, um, life tends to humble us uh, a little bit, uh, which is why the Bible says that, you know, gray hair is the crown of glory, it's the crown of wisdom. Life teaches us humility, and it's good to get a jump start. I hope I didn't offend you if you're 23 years old. Um, so you'll get over it. You're young. <coughs> one final passage from Ephesians 4, and this is really one of my favorite passages um, about personal growth, about internal growth, internal wisdom. Uh, this is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. Uh, which is filled with people who are kind of young in the Lord. It's a new-ish church. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. I just love that phrase, the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness and that might sound like a lot of biblical hodgepodge, but uh, we're not reading it in context, but we, we can still pick it apart a, a little bit. Uh, Paul is talking to a bunch of people who are really struggling to be true to what they have come to believe. 
really struggling to be clear-headed and, 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 and pure-minded uh, and to live life in a consistent way. And, and Paul says to them, uh, look, you know, you were taught that life is an exercise in maturing. You were taught, you know, to put away old things and to incorporate new things and generally to grow up, to grow up year after year as you progress. Um, now here's the thing, there's always part of you which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Such a potent phrase because so many of our desires are deceptions. We, we are just sure that we want this thing. We are just sure down to our toes that we want X, whatever it happens to be. Paul is saying, you know, one element of maturity is to distrust your desires a little bit because they can be deceptive. Just because you passionately want a thing doesn't actually make it a good thing. And just because you think you want a thing doesn't really mean that with the passing of a little time, with a little growth, you would decide against having that thing. Desires can be deceitful. You need to know that. You need to know that if you're going to be a mature person. And when we are 23 years old, we kind of know that, but we haven't had enough life yet to be assured of it. When you get to be 50 years old, you're like, yeah, you know, I can tell you a lot of stories about things that I really wanted, that I thought were really important. And if I could go back and live life again, you know what? I wouldn't want those things so much. And I wouldn't think they were very important. It's the voice of some maturity. Now that I'm a man of a certain age. It goes on. Says, you know, once you understand that, that your emotions, your desires, your impulses can be a little bit deceitful, and once you've gotten a grip on that, be made new in the attitude of your minds. And I, I love that phrase, attitude. I love the word attitude. But Paul doesn't say, you know, once, once you've got a grip on yourself, learn things. Fill your mind with new stuff. No, he says, change the attitude of your mind. What's an attitude? His attitude is your approach to something. Change your approach to how you think is what he's saying. How do you think? Do you use your thoughts to justify your desires? Or do you use your thoughts to try and find real truth? to try and anchor yourself in reality independent of what you might be desiring at any moment. And that's just not a function of IQ. That's a function of attitude. What he's saying is, look, a mature attitude is what you want isn't necessarily what you want, trust me. And what you think isn't necessarily what you should think. You gotta grow, people. You gotta check yourself every once in a while. And if you do this, then godliness happens. You become a new creature. You know, you grow up. You become more and more like God who is truer than true. He's the most real being out there. Don't live at the level of the buzz. 
live at the level of truth. I really like Ephesians 4. I read the whole thing sometime. There's a lot of great meditation on particularly that theme. In our society, uh, we often hear the cry of pain, you don't understand me. I hear it all the time uh, in, uh, in the community around me, on uh, the people around me, and sometimes I hear it come out of my own mouth. You just don't understand me, and that hurts. It hurts to feel as if you're not understood. You don't get me. If you only understood me, the world would be a lot better. Um, it, can even, it can even get demanding sometimes because it comes from a place of pain. You have to make the effort to understand me, and the fact that you don't shows that you're an evil and oppressive person. This is who I am. You have to respect that. That's kind of a, you know, almost a cultural slogan these days. And I, it's such a powerful thing because it's all wrapped up with identity, which is an important thing a fundamental thing. This is who I am. Everybody wants to be able to answer that question. Everybody wants to know uh, who they are. Uh, and, and, and it can become part of our social discourse. Um, sometimes uh, today we hear a lot of embedded justification. This is who I am. I was born this way whatever it is. I mean, so many behaviors now are linked to genetic programming. I don't like it because it feels like mind slavery to me. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not programmed. I'm a human. I make my own choices. But anyway, it's, it's an emotionally potent desire to be understood, uh, to have people know who I am and to respect it. You know, that, that's, that's a really big deal. But in the middle of all of that, I hear the Lord say, yeah, I know who you are, but do you? I understand you. <laughs> I know where you came from, but do you understand you? Because I want you to be free. You know, not programmed. You are no robot. And you know what? You can grow. You can become a new creature, a new self. That's how I hear the Lord speaking to some of those painful situations. Uh, I have just loads of examples of people <clears throat> over the years um, with whom I have walked in life or have come to me uh, in my office for help, for counseling, for deliverance. People... Um, whose, whose beliefs and behaviors required a, a dressing because they didn't really understand what was going on in themselves. We can get locked into all manner of, of destruction uh, by not making the effort to understand why we do uh, what we do. I think tons of people reject God for bad reasons. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who have rejected the Lord, who have declared themselves atheists. And, and if I can get them to have a conversation with me about it, uh, I find out that they, they reject God because they're mad at someone who was a Christian or because they're mad at God. 
which, which is uh, an oxymoronic thing. If you're an atheist, you can't be mad at God. There is no God. Right? But, you know, a lot of the atheists with whom I've had discussions are just, they're, they're angry about it. You know, that's why they've decided not to believe. I get angry at God frequently um, because I, I know he exists. He just doesn't do what I want, and that's a serious problem. Um, I've told this story before, but some years ago, uh, I was speaking, uh, uh, I was scheduled to preach a sermon on, on uh, uh, scientific atheism and why people don't, why people disbelieve and stuff like that. So, so I got a little snarky uh, and uh, maybe just to relieve boredom. But what I did is I logged into uh, an atheistic uh, online community and just started asking questions as a new user. Uh, and one of the questions I asked was, well, you know, you know why, why don't you believe in God? But if, if you could believe in a God, what, what would that God be like? You know? And then I just sort of collected the answers that came rolling in. Well, if there were a God, uh, he or she wouldn't be judgmental. If, if there were a God, um, he or she would, would help the poor and, and reach out to people in their suffering uh, if, if there were a God, he wouldn't be like, you know, the prince of the church. He wouldn't dress in robes and sit on a throne or something like that. He'd be like some working dude. And, and I took all of these answers and I looked at them and who did I think of? Jesus! Like, you guys absolutely want Jesus. You know, you're not objecting to Jesus clearly. Uh, you're not objecting to the story of Jesus, clearly. There's something else going on. But that conversation did not go any further. Um, but it's worth asking yourself from time to time when you get angry at God, as I often do, uh, exactly what are you rejecting? You know, understand yourself. Understand your place uh, in that situation. Uh, tons of people reject other people for bad reasons. I get in, you know, arguments with, with people um, and, and, and I've learned now that I'm a middle-aged man to ask myself, what am I upset about? Because it's very often not the thing that we're arguing about, if you know what I mean. Uh, that can happen. People get locked into all manner of destructive uh, addictions without understanding why. Uh, there was a, a, a young man in my office uh, not too long ago who had de described himself probably, and not a believer, uh, but would have described himself as a, as a sex addict, uh, even without uh, a, a biblically prescribed morality. He understood that his life was just a little bit too promiscuous in sleeping with a lot of uh, married people and um, just, you know, picking up, picking up girls in a way that he understood he could not control. Uh, he is about 30 years old. And so he, he, went, he went to a church uh, to get some help. I think somebody had told him that I might be a good guy to talk to. And so he showed up. Those are always uh, interesting conversations, and I think the Lord is, is often eager to be in them. So we chatted for a while, <clears throat> and, I, and I just asked him some obvious questions. Like, you know, when, when did this start? And then I went out on a limb a little bit. And I said, when were you sexually abused? 
Uh, that's how I put it. <laughs> uh, he said, what? What are you talking about? It's like, well, I mean, there was this, there was this thing uh, in my family. I'm about nine years old, but that was no big deal. Boom, we were off and running. You know, 30 years old, locked in a situation that he himself could not stand and never stopped to consider how his own sexual and identity wounding played into his addictive behavior. You know, I was like, am I the only person in your life to ever ask you a significant question? And his response was, yeah. <laughs> know thyself. Why do you do what you do? You know, that started a path to freedom and some, uh, some different considerations uh, for, those, for that young man. I, I, you know, I could go on with more stories, stories that have to do with uh, food addictions and diets or uh, repeated cycles of relational breakups. But all of these questions count, you know. Uh, why does this person bother me so much? Why am I... Why am I locked in this sin so deeply? Why can't I change it? Why am I behaving this way in my marriage? Why am I behaving this way at my job? Why do I behave this way at church? Why do I behave this way with my kids? We are reluctant to self-examine because, one, it's no fun a lot of times. We're afraid of what we might find. Two, uh, lots of people are eager to do it for us. And that makes us feel defensive. I mean, I'm not going to examine myself. That would not be safe. All of my critics might be right. Um, so I avoid it for that reason. We're not in a safe environment. And because a lot of us can't manage to self-critique without self-condemning, shame is huge in our psyches, oftentimes. If you don't understand grace, then all examination, whether you do it for yourself or whether somebody does it for you, feels like condemnation. If you don't understand grace, then all examination feels like condemnation. I'll say it once more. If you don't understand grace, then all examination feels like condemnation. The Apostle Paul went so far as to boast in his weaknesses. He bragged about his sins and the things that he did wrong. Why? It was a celebration of grace. And I find that I actually have to have a little attitude like Paul from time to time. You know, I need to tell you about my foibles. I need to tell you about my struggle against anger or my struggle against depression, a couple of my big, big boogeymen. Uh, I need to quote-unquote brag about that uh, because it's a celebration of grace. You know, I know, I'm in touch, but there's no shame in my game. <clears throat> Here's my model. We'll end with this. My model for, uh, for knowing myself, and, and we could get lots deeper about this. We have uh, great ministries that are set up with helping us understand what's going on on our own insides. You can start with the prayer line over there today. Have them pray with you. Invite the Lord to speak into what's going on on your insides, why you're doing what you're doing, why you're locked into what you're locked into, why you feel the way that you feel. The Lord is happy to work with you on that. 
Check out the Sozo ministry or the freedom rooms that we do. It's in your bulletin. I think you'll be hearing some testimonies from the Sozo ministry in upcoming weeks. Basically, you just get together with trained ministers, and they facilitate a conversation between you and God. And, and, and God will very often speak into inner issues uh, that make a difference with how you behave and how you think. One of the ministries of the Sozo team is called Freedom Rooms because, as you can imagine, that kind of conversation with God sets people free, free to grow. Anyway, here's a simple way to start. Uh, here's what I do. Number one, uh, I notice a problem. It's like, oh, I keep getting upset about this, or oh, I keep struggling with this sin, or oh, here's a pattern that keeps repeating. I notice the problem. Uh, and then um, I try to do the ideal thing. I, I step away from it. Uh, you know those what would Jesus do bracelets? I ask myself, what, what, would, what would Jordan do? WWJD. But, but I don't say what would Jordan do. I ask myself, what would Super Jordan do? Uh, and, and, and the reason I do this is because what, what, what would the man I want to be? do in this situation? And that's just a question I've learned to ask myself. You know, that's what I mean by, you know, what, what's, what's the ideal thing? Not, not do that thing, do the ideal thing, which is, you should read. Uh, identify a problem, and then I do the ideal thing <clears throat> as best as I can. I do it once. You know, in the moment, I always try to do the right thing. And then I pray for a while about why it was so hard for me to do the right thing. What's going on there? And I pray for a while about it. I take it, I take it to the Lord. You know, why, why do I keep arguing about this with, with my wife? Why does this particular, you know, behavior uh, tick me off so much? Why do I keep avoiding this one particular chore that I just hate beyond all reason? Does anybody have a chore like that? You know, it could be mundane things. And I, and I pray consistently about it for a little while, inviting the Lord to speak into it. And then when I'm in that process, I just share with somebody else what I'm thinking about. I've noticed this about myself. I'm praying about it. And that is the end of my model. That's kind of like, it's kind of like my first aid. I notice, I notice some problem, some tension area. I say, all right, what, what would super me do? What would an ideal person do in this situation? I'm going to try and do that once. And then I'm going to pray about why it's so hard for me to do the right thing. And I'm going to tell somebody what's going on. And then the Lord typically takes it from there. Maybe the person I share with says something to me uh, that's constructive. Uh, if I share it you know, one of my groups with people that routinely pray for me, the Lord often will share a word with me through one of those people. That's just it. I just, I just make a thing about it. But it's a regular practice. Simple, yeah? Close enough. Let's pray. We don't want to be robots, God. We don't want to be controlled by things that we don't understand. We don't want to be controlled by shame. We don't want to be controlled by impulse. 
We don't want to be controlled by social intimidation. We certainly don't want to be controlled by fear. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to talk to individuals this morning and maybe to point to something uh, that uh, they need to examine in a mature and grace-filled way. I pray, Lord, that we would be self-questioners without being consumed with self-doubt. I pray that you would grow us up into... Uh, mature new creations in Jesus' name.